I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Wiradjuri people. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. Perfect picture would still be making wine with my dad each and every day, and him slowing down and enjoying his enjoying some downtime for all his by then what 60 odd years in the wine industry. So yeah, I just love to plant some parietals that I think in 20, 30, 40 years time will be will be ideal for wherever we do find that piece of dirt. This is the Over the Glass podcast. I'm Shante Whale. Gilbert family wines have a long history of agriculture and winemaking within Australia. Established by Simon Gilbert and in conjunction with his son, Will Gilbert, the winery can seemingly do no wrong. With accolades and awards coming out the wazoo, it's no surprise that this year's 2021 Young Winemaker of the Year is Will Gilbert. Will joins us today to tell us more about what's shaking in their growing regions of Mudgee, Orange and Eden Valley. Hi, Will. Thanks for joining me. Hello, Shantae. Thank you very much for for having me here today to, to chat all things Gilbert and wine and everything with you. We're thrilled. Um, look, the first people, the first thing that people tend to mention about you is that you look like Vince Vaughan. On a scale of one to ten, how annoying is that? <laughs> um, started out as a bit of a novelty a couple of years ago. Um, led by by Andrew Jamison, our amazing distributor here in New South Wales. But now <laughs> it's yeah, starting to wear off, wear a little bit thin, and um, you know, but people like to associate that and. And it's a good little icebreaker than whatever whatever makes it comfortable for everyone. I figured we'd just talk about it now and we can put it out there that it's got that it has worn a bit thin and we can move on and maybe talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, massive congratulations is in order for being named GT's uh, 2021 Young Winemaker of the Year. That's huge. How are you feeling? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely thrilled. Um, still pretty lost for words, to be honest. Um yeah, it's absolutely blown away by by that acknowledgement, and pretty thrilled to to join that amazing list of of winemakers that have been awarded that, and pretty 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 amazed to to be in sort of that company and a lot of people that I inspire me and have inspired me for for quite some time as well. Perfect. Did you have some celebrations on Friday night and Saturday? It's been a yeah very heavy weekend of celebrations. <laughs> um, had a little family dinner and staff dinner up at mum and dad's on Friday night. And in true Simon Gilbert style, we went pretty overboard with the alcohol scenario and plenty of champagne and plenty of other amazing wines enjoyed with, with the team and, and the family. So it was a, it was a great evening. That sounds wonderful. Um, I suppose, can you give us a little rundown of how Gilbert family wines came about? So we've very, very fortunate to have an amazing history in the, in the Australian wine industry and, um, I'm luckily enough to be six generations um, in, in the industry. So my great-great-great-grandfather um, was one of the first people in the country uh, to plant Riesling and he established Pusey Vale. Um, and dad was born and bred in South Australia along with the rest of the family. Um, and then in the, dad's late 20s, early 30s, moved, across, moved across to New South Wales, the Hunter Valley. Um, and he made wine for quite a few people contract winemaking as well and we still do that but in 2004 and then more seriously in 2009 he started his own label um, Gilbert Family Wines and from there um, it has eventuated into a little father and son duo where we've been fortunate to work together for a little bit over 10 years now. 
Amazing. The first to plant Riesling, that's pretty massive considering um, its reputation in that region as well. Um, so I suppose Riesling must have a kind of special place for you guys these days. It does. It does. Um, in both in the, the orange scenario as well as, as well as the Eden Valley scenario. So both dad and I got the dad's little passion project of the Eden Valley range as well. And um, that's coming from vineyards close by to, to where he grew up as a kid. Um, and and then also the orange representation of Riesling is a, a stylistically very different, um, a little bit more residual sugar and a bit more sort of texture building in those with that higher sort of natural acidity and, and austerity that we can get from, from those sites in orange. But it's, it's a pretty um, extensive listing in our, in our portfolio. I think we've got, what, six or so Rieslings of like a current release style and not even, um, that's not even inclusive of the museums. But, yeah, it's a variety which both Dad and I are incredibly passionate about and, yeah, cont- love to continue that Gilbert story with Riesling and, and, and keep people sort of up to date with what, we're, with what Gilbert is doing with Riesling. Yeah, you can never have enough Riesling, right? Never, never. <laughs> Amazing little one. Uh, with making wine in three different regions, talking about that, what are, what are the pros and cons of working in the three different regions that you work in? And what's the common thread that kind of binds all of Gilbert family wines together? Firstly, it's a logistical nightmare. <laughs> um, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a tough scenario in terms of our winery is based in Mudgee um, and most of our fruit that does come from the Mudgee site that we lease and where the winery is located goes into Rosé and, um, and our Gilbert Rouge blend. Um, so being an earlier pick style with our Rosé, it's usually the first things that are coming on in and then we move into orange whites and then as we're pressing those, those mudgy reds, the orange whites are coming in and it's, um, there's always a lot of crossover and it's not an easy white into, into pink, into red situation in our winery. There's um, a lot of moving parts and a lot of different batches coming from different regions. Mm. But the, the common theme is yeah, being, being respectful of, of sight and season um, and really trying to harness that and showcase that, but whilst still being true to, true to the varietal, um, and all about having that vibrancy and freshness and um, just wanting to just sort of let that varietal expression and regionality really sing. I like that. It makes it really kind of ties it together, just talking about respect, site, season, and then looking at what, what you can do with that once, once you get it into your winery. Definitely. And particularly that comes to back to that Riesling scenario of, you know, making so many and from two different regions, Um we're all about showcasing the uniquenesses from two very different cool climate regions that do make great Riesling independently. So um, we're just trying to be respectful to those orange sites that the Riesling is going into and the same thing as the Eden Valley situation. Yeah, I think it's it's such a, a benefit to have, um, you know, different expressions with the same varietal from different regions, but then having a really lovely broad portfolio of saying, you know, we do this because of this region, um, we add a little bit of sugar here, but then you, you're able to enjoy the whole gamut of what Riesling can do. Big time. Can you touch a little bit on your travels uh, that you did around the world and what experiences overseas inspired you the most in winemaking? Yeah, I've been fortunate to, to do a considerable amount of travels and been a few vintages overseas that have been pushed back and cancelled because of the last little period that we've all been through. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get there at some stage. But yeah, the two main um, regions that sort of in the polar opposite in terms of their you know reputation and um, 
and sort of longevity in the industry as well. But the, it's Niagara in Canada and, and Burgundy in, in France. Um, but the, those two regions for very different purposes, I took, made the decision in 2011 that I wanted to go somewhere new world, English speaking, um, and still with a quite a new world focus, um, but definitely with that cool climate mindset and, and Ontario, Niagara um, was, was the pick for me there just to do something a little bit, you know, different left to center and not follow the norm. Um, was fortunate to go to a very, uh, one of the top wineries in Canada, a uh, very small little um, vineyard to winery scenario of hidden bench um, and worked under an amazing um, female winemaker, Marlies Bayers, who's South African and incredibly intelligent, um, diligent and has just yeah rubbed off a lot of things onto me and so, yeah there's three main people that have heavily contributed to how I make wine now and that's her and and then the next person I worked for Benjamin LaRue in Bone and he's as many people have met he's just such an amazing and, be- and a beautiful guy and his wines I just feel like they're, they're incredible as well but they're almost second to that and just so hospitable and learned so much from him and such a grounded individual for what he's achieved in in such a short period of time with his own with his own project after such an amazing start with Comte d'Armand. But yeah, the vibrancy and, and freshness and detail that he puts into his Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and and even now the Alagote that's becoming more more well world renowned is um is pretty amazing. And particularly the the thing in that French scenario is just that whole hospitality scenario of it's the the lifestyle and the village focus and and going into the markets on a Wednesday and a Saturday and um, just literally was there for six weeks and felt like I was a family member by the time I left. Wow. That's amazing. You must pinch yourself sometimes being like, did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, he's a pretty remarkable man and Jay-Z can drink as well. Plenty of chartreuse, plenty of wine. And he's, um, he's, he's quite the character. <laughs> How very French with the chartreuse. Um, <laughs> your, your father's had a significant impact on many winemakers in Australia. And of course you yourself. One of, what are some of the most valuable lessons that he's taught you? Um, yeah, he's, he's the, my true inspiration and ultimate mentor when it comes to all of this. Um, He's, he's gone about it a very sort of a rockier road and worked for quite a few people to get to where he's got to. And I'm incredibly fortunate that he's done that and gone through that journey. And now we're both experiencing developing our family little family project together. And um, he's just really sort of honed in more so disregarding from a wine point of view, but yeah, life throws us all ball, plenty of curves, balls. And you know, if we're passionate about what we're doing and, therefore love what we're doing at work it's not necessarily work and i think with the wine industry it's a tough old slog and um you've really got to love it to to continue to wake up every day and every day in vintage and every day in a wet and raining winter to continue to go there and his that hard slog approach is well and truly worth it when he's taught me that mindset and it was naturally there for me as a kid to want to get completely immersed into it but from a technical point of view, um, he's mentored and taught me so much and supported me through it all. And um, I feel like I've been incredibly fortunate that you know, although I haven't fulfilled my full university degree, I've done more than that under his tutelage. And he's very technical, very switched on, avid winemaker. And a, a lot of those things, have, I think, and I hope, have, have rubbed off on me. 
Absolutely. And he seems to be a, a slightly quieter spoken, but someone that you just have to really spend time with and just listen um, to really get everything that you want to learn from him. Um, did you always want to go into winemaking? Was there ever a time that you thought, I want to do something different? Growing up as, as a kid and, you know, jumping in the car and going to vineyard inspections with him was always something I loved to do. I was Mum would always put me in the car to keep him awake, but I'd fall asleep within about three minutes and he'd tap me on the shoulder when we got to the, um, got to the next vineyard. And from that moment, yeah, I just loved the whole sort of mindset and mentality of it and the, the focus, the artistic focus with a science background and um, seeing the traveling situation and the cultural side as well. They're all just a lot of things would all combine to, to definitely solidify the, to me that that's what I wanted to do, even at a young age. And then in my sort of later teens, I had a bit of a change of heart and thought it was all too hard. And um, <laughs> that, that was only quite momentary. And then called dad back and said, no, I've wanted to, want to do it. I want to come home for vintage of, you know, have enrolled in uni and, and yeah, the rest is history and, you know, many vintages later and, um, and yeah, well and truly immersed in it and could not see myself doing anything, anything differently. That's amazing. I think it's probably a good thing that you had a moment to say it's all a bit hard because you, you need to know that you're in for a lot of hard work. So it's good that you kind of had that um, thought early on, I think. Better, better to have that as a 15 or 16 year old than, sort of midway through the career and change away. But um, no, I think that, yeah, well and truly reinforced that it's what I want to do. And it was sort of coincided with a bit of a difficult time that Dad was going through with some work and businesses and things. So I think it all sort of perpetuated, but seeing him get through that and stick through that and come out the other side bigger and better sort of showed to me that I also wanted to do that, but then also make wine with him, which was my, my ultimate dream. Talk to me a bit about vision and tradition. I mean, you, you, you've kind of have some of these wines. I think it's what Gilbert Family Wines does particularly well in keeping with um, a theme for their wines, but then also really pushing the boundaries for some different varieties and styles, but then also staying true to some of the wines that you've been making for some time. How do you balance all that out? I think that's it sort of sums up Dad and I as a duo um, and whilst sort of paying, you know, the, the respects to our family history and, um, and a lot of our original, original loyal customers, that, that tradition and that, and that structure and style and certain wines that I love and really do love and want to make and still well and truly down that traditional mindset. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the balance of a father and son duo can really sort of be further portrayed through that tradition and, and innovation and, He's been incredibly generous in allowing myself to express myself through some of these wines and more alternative styles that um, were don't necessarily go against everything he has made or believes in or anything. It's just exposure and I've been fortunate to travel and, and do all those things. It's much more common in our generation of, of budding winemakers than, um, than the generation he grew up in and yeah, just allowing me to have that experimental touch and, so it then comes back to that wine style of vibrancy and freshness and uniqueness. And um, I accept that there's a, there's market trends out there and not everyone wants a certain style of Chardonnay or Pinot Noir or Riesling. Um, but people do want some, some skin contact wines or some petillants or things like that. And I think 
one style of wine balances well with the other. And I think that's sort of shown pretty well with our, our sparkling offerings of the, the 60 month on Lee style compared to the Petions. They're, they're both, I love drinking both of them for their, for their own purpose and their own time and place. And I think it's a great sort of balance of, of the modern Australian wine scenario of, of tradition and innovation and, a balancing of those wines allows us to, to sort of continue to do what we love and what we want to do and appeal to as many people and markets as possible. Absolutely. You're, I mean, you guys are quite a, a big operation, um, but you're still a family operation. So what, what are you so excited about? What's happening in the future and, and where do you see kind of Gilbert Wines headed? Yeah, we do, we do lease a large facility and there's certain wines we do that, that are considerably bigger than others and they all, all allow Dad and I to work on our little sparkling project and, um, and those higher-end Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays and residual sugared Rieslings and things. And that commercial aspect is, is, is supports that smaller side. And the future, yeah, the future is, I think, incredibly bright for the whole Australian wine scene and but in particular New South Wales. Like, I don't think that there's been a real change and a real movement in the last little while on this, the, the supports from, from you, Shantae, and a lot of your contemporaries and the people that you um, work in all these amazing restaurants with and writing all these amazing lists with, is the support to back to New South Wales has, has never been this strong and such an exciting time for New South Wales and, and for Mudgee as a re-emerging region with some alternative varietal focuses and, um, it's a region that's, that's been, is a traditional region and has a lot of history, but with the emergence of some alternative varietals, it's, it's pretty exciting and some newer brands popping into the region here. And then orange with, with that cool climate change. And, um, there's a few, few brands that are just constantly popping up out of there. That's really fighting the fight of orange region and showing that, you know, we can compete and make some pretty amazing Chardonnays and Pinots and, and sparkling to that matter, along with um, the diversity of varieties that can be done from such a cool climate region, but cool climate that's over the elevation, not um, the one sort of microclimate. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I, I agree with you. New South Wales has never looked so bright. Um, but I also think, you know, it's, it's been a good thing that people have started to um, explore some of the regions um, and look at their doorsteps to where can we go down, whether it be the Shoalhaven Coast or out to Orange or Mudgee. Um, you've got an incredible cellar door out in Mudgee. How has the response been since you opened that? Oh, the response has been amazing. Um, it's it's great to, to finally have a home that, you know, people that – try our wine or get told about our wines that they can come and sit down and have a tasting with dad or myself or, or some of the Gilbert team that works in the winery. We always like to have, have someone there on a weekend and, um, and then it's, it's mum's little passion project. And we, we did a fair bit of travels through Australia and seeing the cellar we liked and we wanted to have a bit of a food offering. So we weren't just to come in and have a taste and leave and people could really get a feel for, us as a brand and our wine style and also not only that, but our sort of mindset as a family and a, a very hospitable family with plenty of amazing meals and wines enjoyed with staff and trade and, and all of that. And it's all sort of, it was the final piece in the puzzle and just allowed our message as a family to, to be communicated a little bit better and easier. And, um, and then obviously the amount of tourism that has come through um, over the last little while is 
absolutely crazy and we're just yeah, ready for it to all open up again and and have round two and it was amazing to see all these people that um that had, had never been to Mudgee before and had 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 our wine or had never had our wine and they were just they were meant to be in Europe or something and they're just sitting and having a long lunch at Mudgee and and thoroughly enjoying it and wanting to come back more again and recommend their friends and so yeah it's been it's been an amazing little journey with that cellar door and it's certainly uh, well, it's certainly way more than what we originally envisaged but then again we've um, we've had a crazy amount of growth as a brand over the last five ten years but more so over the last five or six years I think a lot of people when they visit Mudgee do talk about just how great that cellar door is and the experience there and it usually tends to stay with them for life they tend to be quite loyal after that especially if a winemaker pops by and sits down with them for five seconds to have a little tasting Um, but in terms of some of the larger operation of your winery um, we've enjoyed some really lovely older wines together is there something that you would you want to do for the future in terms of having a little bit more of those um, reserves and cellar releases that you put aside for later down the track yeah, so we will um, start to release a few wines over the next little while of our of some museum reserve Rieslings and Chardonnays, um, and then in time we'll be adding some some Pinots to that mix as well. But the, probably something that Dad and I are most excited about and and passionate about will be the our late disgorge sparklings that we've just released our our um, 2016 Blanc de Blanc and at the Trad, which if we enjoyed tasting with you a few weeks ago via, via computer screen, um, <laughs> but there'll be that we will have some late disgorge projects with that as well, which is, which is pretty cool and very excited by that. Um, just to really showcase, you know, a different sort of prospect in, in the Australian sparkling scene. Incredible wines. It's amazing that um, I don't know how you can sit on like a little secret like that for so long, you know, like we've got something coming out, we've been working on it, but uh, and then finally doing the big release. It's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, I was thrilled to thrilled to finally get those out. And um, it's, it's something that just kept on getting delayed and delayed as, you know, as the base wines on Lee's were getting better and better. So it was pretty tough to keep it, keep it quiet for so long, but no, well and truly worth the wait and it's um, an exciting project. Totally agree. Um, if you could paint the perfect picture of yourself and Gilbert Family Wine in 20 years, what does that look like? Yeah, per- perfect picture would um, still be still be making wine with my dad each and every day and him slowing down and enjoying his in, enjoying some downtime for all his, by then, what, 60-odd years in the wine industry. So mm, I, like I think that. He's, he, he's due for a big holiday and um, I just want to yeah, continue to make wine with him for as long as possible and fulfill our dreams of owning our own little estate vineyard where, which all is all going into our, into our own wines, but while still continuing to buy fruit and at the end of the day, we still got to put fruit on the table and, um, and, and still have some of those larger skews. So yeah, continuing to do that and still as a family project um, and planning some, varietals that I think in time for the next generation, whether it's a Gilbert family member or someone else um, that would ultimately take over the land because at the end of the day, we would just be be the caretakers of that site. And yeah, I just love to plant some varietals that I think in 20, 30, 40 years time will be, will be ideal for wherever we do find that piece of dirt. Will, I definitely think you deserve a couple of rounds bought for you, just so we know what we need to buy you at the bar next time. If you could only drink three alcoholic beverages for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? 
I love, I do love a good cold beer. So um, kegs of rushes on tap in cold schooner glasses is definitely my, my beer of choice. Um, and gin and tonics and then any grower champagne that is available um, mm. as well. So, oh, I think we can completely align on all of those. <laughs> That's awesome. Look, the trajectory of Gilbert Family Wines is astounding. I really hope it continues on that p- path for you guys. But I look forward to opening something special with you soon, saying a cheers to uh, everything that you've achieved. And thanks for making the time to chat with me today. Thank you so much for having me in Chantel. It was great to, great to chat and look forward to having a drink with you soon. And thank you for, for the support of not only me, but also Gilbert Family Wines over, over the last couple of years. And even before we got to know each other after that wine show, um, you were still a big, a big supporter of us and great to call you a friend and to do this podcast with you. That's a pleasure. Thanks, mate. I'll chat to you soon. Cheers to you. Bye-bye. Cheers. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.